Greetings everybody. Today we are talking about understanding the dimensions of the love of Christ. That's what we're talking about. The dimensions of the love of Christ. Now, we have seen the love of Christ as something that is inside the heart of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus when he dealt with people while he was walking on the earth. Now, I want to say to you that the love of Christ does include that, and I believe it is founded on the compassion and the mercy of God even before the world began, from where he created a heaven and an earth and people. But when we look at the passage in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, that we, in depth here, we see that Paul had uh, an understanding of the love of Christ, which is more than just a feeling in the heart of Jesus. It is born from a feeling in the heart of Jesus, and it flows over into actions wherein it takes away our works to be saved, and it brings forth the work of God to be saved. So we're going to look at definitions today. We're going to look at, um, at Scripture in depth today. But What I want to say before I start is this. That if you don't have an intellectual understanding of the scriptures, it doesn't mean that you are worse off. I want to say that clearly. If you are not coming from a perspective where you say, well, I am learned in the scriptures and I know this scripture flows with that one and so forth, you're not worse off. I am not so ignorant to think that everybody in Jesus' time could read and write. Most people back then couldn't read and write. There were people in Rome, a lot of them could read and write, but most of them couldn't. Uh, like even the writings of Peter, they said Mark wrote for Peter. He was the one that would write down what Peter would say because Peter himself couldn't write. Uh, that's just what historians are saying. So the, the idea of everybody having a Bible in their house and reading it, I mean, that is just ludicrous. In those times, paper was not uh, in sure supply as what we have today. You couldn't just go to a shop and buy yourself a lot of paper. No, it was very expensive. The rich had it, and people would basically club money together, and they would have a person or two that could write, and they would write a letter to someone. And that was basically for the rich. And then in the church times, a letter would be written and then read in the congregation on Sundays. So they didn't even have uh, something they could read in the week. So I don't think people, and I, I don't think, I am sure people didn't have uh, the sermons of Paul, knowing them uh, off by heart, all of them. No, some of the people that did study it and were studying Paul and um, in the Christian discipleship programs i would believe we can call it that way of that time people would have summaries of paul's sermons summaries of peter's sermons which they would memorize but that was not the church uh, as a whole people believed the simple message they believed that jesus was the christ that he was raised from the dead that he is the king and that he rules over all sin and death and that we are not saved by our works even the part where I say we are not saved by our works was a struggle in the time of the church. But one of the things they believed which did bring forth salvation and the, uh, what we would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit in their lives 
was the simple belief that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He is Lord. The law is fulfilled. Uh, and that he's Christ over all people. That is what they believed. And I want to say to you, if you believe that, if you today listen to this message and you believe that the man, Jesus, was raised from the dead, that he was exalted to the right hand of God, which means that the man, Jesus, is seated as God over the world, wherein he rules with who and what he is, bringing forth his life, uh, basically fulfilling the vocation of Adam, where it is saying, be fruitful and multiply, where he is multiplying who he is and what he is in people by his doing and not your own. You saved. Simple belief that Jesus was raised from the dead and that he is now seated at the right hand of God from where he rules over us and you submitting to that and you believe it in your heart and you confess with your mouth you are saved and the fullness of the gospel will manifest in you Th that is all you have to know basically now when it comes to understanding the scripture in depth it helps us not to uh, it helps us understand what we are in and what we are believing, what it means and what it doesn't mean. We do find people believed that Jesus was raised from the dead, but they still believed that they had to be circumcised. You see that they were, there was not a, a great understanding of what they are in. So they were saved in what they believed, but through the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that the Spirit will guide you into all truth. He will take what is of me and teach it unto you. And we find a progression in understanding taking place in the early church. As God reveals truth to his uh, uh, saints or the, the, the twelve as well as to Paul. And as they understand and they have understanding, they share that and we get rooted and established in our mind and in our understanding and also in our hearts in grabbing a hold of the depth of the gospel in a much bigger way. So uh, I want to say this. If you are not a person that says, well, I'm a, a, a verse-quoting believer that can explain all the early church things and all those kind of things, that's fine. If you just believe that Jesus died and was raised and that you don't have to be saved by your own works and that it's his doing, you fine. You're going to have the fullness of everything. Uh, what I would encourage you to do is to listen to messages and say, Lord, thank you that you give me a spirit of understanding and uh, 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 that I may grow in this wisdom and know how this applies to every area of my life. And that will just bring greater stability to you. Now, in the times of Paul and the early church, that was of utmost importance because they were persecuted for the belief that Jesus was raised from the dead. And they believed that Jesus was raised from the dead and that he is king. And all of a sudden, these people that do believe this, they are being murdered by Rome. Uh, they are killed by some of the, um, the Pharisees. Their own Jewish people are killing other Jewish people now because of the spreading of the message that Jesus is the Messiah and so forth. And that would bring a lot of confusion. I believe in the light of all of that, Paul was explaining all the verses and what was really going on. And today we can benefit greatly from that uh, which Paul was teaching and Peter and John and James and so forth.
Now, we're getting right into Ephesians 3 today. Those of you that, um, that don't have the notes with you, if you want the notes to follow with me as we go through the message on Sundays, please write to info at dynamicministries.com and then you can just ask for the sermon notes. And you will get them by the Wednesday or Thursday prior to the Sunday service. And that helps you to follow along as well as if you want to go and preach this. You've got the notes already. You can go and preach it in your church or uh, in your cell group or wherever you are or um, just for family use. That's fine. Just It is just good to have. Right. Let us read Ephesians 3.14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you, or he would give unto you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might, or to be fortified by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, uh, talking about the Gentiles, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and to have knowledge or experiential knowledge of the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I want to stop right there. We will still read verse 20 and 21. But I want to say this. Have you picked up what verse 19 says? It says there that we may know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Now, how do you know something that passes knowing? That's interesting, and we're going to look at that today. We also see in verse 18 that he is connecting the love of God and knowing the love of God in 18 and 19 to the concept of being filled with the fullness of God. So he says there, I want you to comprehend, or paralambano is the Greek there. It means to grab a hold of with a purpose to use. I want you to grab a hold of and use this um, with all the saints, with the, with the Jews. What is the dimensions of the love of Christ? I want you to grab a hold of that. Why? Because in the measure... Now, we can't actually strictly not say that, but I think this will help us. To the measure where we grab a hold of the love of Christ for both Jew and Gentile, we shall be filled with the fullness of God. Now, many of us might say, but I want to be filled with the fullness of God. I want to tell you that you have the spirit of the fullness of God already inside you. The Bible says that in Jesus dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily and in him you are complete lacking nothing so what it means is and i think what he was writing there in colossians he was writing to the people and saying to them listen the fullness of the godhead is in jesus bodily and you are complete in him meaning you don't need circumcision or rituals to be in any place where you ought to be since the fullness is already in him bodily, and since you are in him, you are sharing in his fullness. 
Yet we are not seeing the full manifestation in our bodies. But what he's talking about is you are where you are supposed to be and the fullness of God is in Christ and that completes you. You don't need circumcision. You don't need rituals. You don't need certain principles and things you need to follow and all those kind of things to be complete. One day I'll do a proper exegesis of that and, and uh, uh, or let me put it this way, share, a, share the proper exegesis of that passage with you in uh, but let's continue with this. So what I want to say here is that the dream of God is to share his fullness with all. And he says here to the church that they might be filled, talking about a futuristic event, with the fullness of God in knowing the love of Christ. So the love of Christ is paramount to the experience of the fullness of God. If you don't know the love of Christ, it would be very difficult, bordering to impossibility, it would be impossible to experience any of the goodness of God towards you. And Paul has got a certain understanding when he says the love of Christ. He's got something in his mind when he says the love of Christ. What does Paul have in his mind? Now, we're going to go on to the next point there in the notes when we talk about the love of God defined. And we're going to look at this love of Christ. That's very important. It says in, um, in the notes there, in the following passage, I will explain what the biblical concept in the minds of Paul and John was as pertaining to the only begotten Son of God. It is important to understand that the concept of only begotten is much greater than just human birth. Okay. If we go to John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So what does the Bible say? We're now going to look at this love that's in Christ. What is the love of God? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the love that there is in Christ is basically the love that God expresses in bringing forth the Christ so that we can have eternal life and not death. That is the love of God. Making that practical for you today, the love of God is that which God wants to bring to us in bringing forth the Christ so that we will not have to be saved by our own works, but that we will be saved by the power of God that can create all things. That is what it is all about. So the love of God is basically coming to man's rescue in saving man from the deep hole he's dumped himself into, a hole of despair, a hole of wickedness, a hole of being powerless and looking to the heavens saying, where will our help comes from? Where they're helpless, where God comes and say, let me help my people so they can be free from what Satan brought over man in the disobedience of Adam. <clears throat> Let me explain it again. Let me take it from the beginning again. What I want to emphasize is in this passage is that Paul prays that the Gentiles would know the love of Christ 
which surpasses knowledge, that they may also be filled with the fullness of God. Love in the Bible is defined in John 3.16 as that which was, or that which God does so that we will not perish but have everlasting life. Love is basically defined as that which is in God to give you life. So <clears throat> it says here that he brought forth the only begotten of God. He gave the only begotten son. What is the only begotten son? It says in verse uh, Acts 13.33, God has fulfilled the same unto us their children in that he raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. So the only begotten son does not talk about the man Jesus that was born from Mary. The only begotten son explained in the book of Acts here by, uh, by Paul teaching is saying that it is the man that was raised from the dead. So what God is saying is, I bring forth to you a man raised from the dead, which we call the Christ. So the love that is inside Christ or the love of having Jesus as our Christ is that we have the fullness of God, which is eternal life. That is what it is all about. So when Paul writes in Ephesians and says, I pray that you may understand the dimensions of the love of God, what he's actually saying is, I pray that you may grab a hold of this resurrected Jesus and what he has accomplished for you, wherein you don't exclude yourself as Gentiles. Now we will still get to that. So Paul says in Ephesians, let's take it step by step. Ephesians Three, he says, I want you to understand the dimensions of the love of Christ. What is this love of Christ? The love of Christ is God giving a begotten son, which is a resurrected man, as the one that rules over your sin and death, that you don't have to activate willpower to be saved, where you don't have to have what the Bible calls will worship where you worship God by the power of your will, so that you are saved by willpower in obeying the Ten Commandments or laws or rules or whatever you think you need to do. We see that this only begotten Son, according to Acts 13.33, is the resurrected Jesus. Now, let's go on. It says in verse 34, And as concerning that he raised him from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said it this way, I will give unto you the sure mercies of David. So what is the sure mercies of David? The sure mercies of David is a man seated in the throne of David, which is the Christ, which is the one that cannot return to corruption, which can bring the fullness of God, which is incorruptibility to man, which by which is Preach the forgiveness of sins. We will explain that. Verse 35. Wherefore, he says in another psalm, you, are, you will not suffer your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he has served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers to see corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known, therefore, or because of the resurrection, or because of the love of Christ, Men and brethren, that through this man is preached to you today the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> Glory to God. 
What I'm saying to you is that the love of God is expressed. The, 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 the passion of God, the agape of God is expressed in Christ. So the love of Christ is the love of God that there is inside Christ. Inside the concept of a resurrected human that rules and reigns over your sin. Wherein he brings life to you for free. You know, the Jewish concept of forgiveness of sins had very little to do with uh, God not being angry at you. The forgiveness of sins in the Jewish mind would be the redemption or the setting free from exile, the exodus out of exile. That's how they define forgiveness of sins. You know the passage that says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or no forgiveness of sins. When you look at Israel, when they were under the Egyptians, when blood flowed, what happened? Then the, the sins or the bondage they were under, they were delivered from it and they were led out through the Red Sea into the desert unto the promised land. The forgiveness of sins to the Jew, Jewish mind would be uh, the deliverance or, or the exodus out of exile, the ending of exile, the ending of the Babylonian exile, the ending of being slaves where you are free, the acknowledgement or the announcement of the year of Jubilee. That is what it is all about. So now it says here, uh, I declare to you that through the love of Christ, which is the resurrected Jesus, I declare unto you the forgiveness of all sins. The forgiveness of sins. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. So the love of God in Christ or the love of the Christ or the resurrected Jesus is actually God jumping into the scene setting you free from the system wherein you find life by your own works. I want to continue. I didn't put in the notes here. Acts 13. I want to read a little bit more there. Acts 13. And uh, let's read from verse 38 onwards. Forgiveness of sins is a very, very, very important thing to understand. We've seen forgiveness, forgiveness of sins as God not being angry. That is really not what it is. Let's read 38 and 39. Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, the resurrected, only begotten, the, uh, uh, the Christ, uh, is preached unto you basically the love of God, which is the deliverance or the setting free of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So what is this love of Christ? The love of Christ is basically the rulership of Christ over people wherein it is declared that your sins are forgiven. And then you will see in verse 38, the end of 38, there's a colon, 39 now, explaining the concept that was discussed in 38, saying, and by him, or which is, that by him all that believe are set free from all bondages which the law wasn't powerful enough to set you free from. 
So I want to say this. The, the love of Christ is that God would come and say, it is not your job to save you from your sins. I've made it my job and I've manifested a man by which this takes place. Those who believe that he was raised from the dead and that he is Lord, he, by his doing, will justify us. Glory to God. Now, we're going to move on and we're going to explain the mystery of Christ. The Bible talks about a mystery in Jesus. It is very important to understand this this whole concept of a mystery. When we read Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14, it comes, uh, I mean, it obviously starts uh, really getting into what he's saying in verse 4. It says here in Ephesians 3 verse 4 in the notes, whereby when you read, you understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. We're talking about the love of Christ, the dimensions of the love of Christ. But there was a mystery about Christ, and we're going to see what that mystery is which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as is now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets by his Spirit. And here is the mystery, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So what he is basically saying here is that the mystery of Christ was that Christ was Christ of the Gentiles. I've explained this in depth in my previous message, but let me just touch on it quickly again. When it talks about uh, Christ being Christ of the Gentiles, we need to understand what the Jewish concept of a Christ was. The Jews believed that Christ was going to be the deliverer, a political figure with an army and power that would deliver the Jewish people from the bondage they were in. That would be seen to them as the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins wasn't seen just as transgressions of the law and those kind of things. They've had sacrifices for that and, those kind of, and all of that. Forgiveness of sins, what they were thinking of was, we need to be set free from this sin which is committed towards us uh, by Rome and oppressing Gentile nations and we need to be set free. What they then believed would take place is that the Christ or the Messiah would set up camp in Jerusalem from where he would rule the whole world and that the whole world will then become subject to God and that all of them would believe in Yahweh, the God of uh, the, the Jews and that they will then both worship God but the temple will be rebuilt the Jewish law, the Pentateuch, will be set in order again and the Jewish law would be the law of the world whereby they would judge the world. That court system would be put in place again and that is how the world will run. They didn't need a Messiah to set them free from sin and death. They needed a Messiah to set them free to what they believed would set man free, which was obedience to the law, that that can be inaugurated in the proper way again, and that they could follow the customs of Moses, and that the world could be set free by God through man's obedience to the law. That's what they believed. And they therefore believed that Christ was their Christ. He was their Messiah, not the Messiah of the Gentiles, for the Gentiles didn't need a Messiah. Uh, the Messiah was for the Jews because the Jews were oppressed by the Gentiles. In the meantime, here we find a mystery 
And the mystery was that Jesus never came and delivered the Jewish people. He never came and set them free from the Gentile nations. Uh, Jesus comes and he dies. He was raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of God. And all of a sudden, from that perspective, Scripture had to be reinterpreted. What is the Messiah? Who is the Messiah? Oh, he is the Messiah of the Gentile as well. And salvation is now redefined. Salvation is all of a sudden not anymore uh, to be saved from the oppression of the Gentiles. In the meantime, salvation is to be saved from the oppression of the, Ju- uh, of the, uh, the devilish uh, power over both Jew and Gentile, which is called sin and death. So now Paul comes and he preaches to the Gentiles. I want to tell you, you, God has not abandoned you. You are not left without God, without a Savior. The very same Messiah that the Jews were waiting for has come and he is your Messiah. And you are as much part of the people of God as what just the Jews were. There is only one family now. There's no more Jew, no more Gentile, just one family. And that is how it will be forever. And he is your Messiah. And we find that these people struggled to believe that. They couldn't believe that. It was difficult for them. That is why in verse 18, he says it like this. That you may be able to comprehend Greek word paralambano, which means to grab a hold of, to use. That you may use this love that's in Christ. That, uh, 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 that uh, sorry, uh, verse 18, I've just, my eyes jumped to verse 19 there, 18. Uh, that you may be able to use with all the saints. Can you see that he's addressing the Gentiles here? And he says, listen, you shouldn't be so foolish not to make use of Jesus as your Christ. And let no one say that he is not your Christ. He is the Christ of the world. We find that in Romans 3, clearly, that God is the God of both Jew and Gentile. We've got it in the notes there. So what is Paul saying? He is saying, listen, the love of Christ is the power of Jesus over both Jew and Gentile, wherein he has come and redefined salvation. Salvation is not to the Jew, but of the Jews, meaning that through the Jewish nation, a a Messiah will come forth, which will be the Messiah of Gentiles as well, wherein Jew and Gentile will as one people group worship God. The Jews didn't think that. They thought, well, I will worship God and I am the priest. I am a bit higher up in the rank. I worship God. And then all these Gentiles with all their false gods, that makes life difficult. Their idol worship is going to end and then they're also going to worship the same God. But there will still be that like kind of a looking down on the Gentile. They are uh, almost like that one book I, I read uh, in school, all animals are equal, but... Um, but some are more equal than others. And that's the kind of concept that the Jews had. But all of a sudden, there's no boasting anymore. Jew and Gentile has passed away. The Christ became the Christ over sin and death. I want to read the second paragraph on this, uh, on, or third paragraph on page two. It says there, what the following scriptures declare is that the Gentiles and the Jews both have the same Christ and that the Jewish nation would not be above any other nation. This understanding changes the whole concept of what true salvation is. 
Paul taught that the Gentiles are heirs of the same body and of the same promises. The fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah of both Jew and Gentile leaves the Jew at the place where he must ask the question, what is the purpose of the Messiah then? From this radical truth, every person must look at the Messiah as personal and the Savior which saves people from the true enemy which is death and whatsoever leads you to death. Glory to God. I think we've, we've covered a lot so far. When we talk about Christ in us, we've seen it last week, it talks about the rulership of the Messiah inside the individual. Now, on our uh, second last page of the notes, page three there, I want to go through uh, the points I've marked out in Galatians 3 from verse 14 onwards. Paul says, for this cause, for this cause I bow my knee. For what cause? What cause is he talking about? He's talking about the fear that people, the Gentiles, would not believe that Jesus is their Christ through the persecution of Paul and also the fear that Jewish people would come and teach the Gentiles that Christ is not your Christ. It is for this cause I bow my knee, for the cause of the mystery, I bow my knee before the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that he may strengthen your inner man. That, that he may strengthen your inner man. Actually, that he may strengthen your mind. Paul in Romans 8 calls the inner man the mind. That your mind might be strengthened by the power of the resurrection. So Paul comes and says, I pray for you Gentiles. As what I would pray for you that's listening to this message. I pray to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That your inner man, that your mind might be strengthened by the power that raised Christ from the dead. That it might be fortified. That the knowledge you have of the Christ will never leave you. That the message of Jesus as the Christ. And that you are not your own Christ living by your own works. But that he is the one that will fill you with life and immortality that that would never leave you as i pray that prayer to the father that was what paul prayed he says here um you know we, we when it talks about christ it talks about the lord jesus christ you'll find very few places in the writings of paul where he just say jesus he's always saying jesus christ or even the christ or the lord jesus christ we need to understand that this concept of the Lord Jesus Christ is explained in Acts chapter 2 as a very powerful concept wherein Jesus was raised from where he rules. Let us read Acts 2.32. It says, This Jesus has God raised up whereof we all are witnesses. This is now Peter preaching his heart out. And the Holy Spirit was poured out, and now he's hammering away on the gospel. And he is now preaching the gospel, the, the very good news. The very good news you will quickly see was the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, and even better, that he ascended on high. Glory to God. I want to tell you, equally important with the resurrection was the ascension. Without the ascension, we cannot be free. That was when this resurrected man, Jesus, went and sat at the right hand of God, meaning that he could now inherit the kingdom of God since he has no corruptibility. He cannot lose it. He is now fully in the full image of God. He cannot die. He cannot sin. He's above all of that as a human being. Now to him, the kingdom is given for him to rule. And that was when he sat. 
and at the right hand of God, wherein he is now the ruler over what hurts his people. And that is how we are set free, by the fact that he rules. Church, it's all about Jesus. It's not about our own works. Acts 2.33 Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, people receiving the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, which you now see. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit you at my right hand until I make your foes your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Can you see the Christness of Jesus was not by the acknowledgement of Peter when he said you are the Christ when he said you are the Christ that was true but he was made Christ he was the Christ but it's like when Jesus was born was he the Christ yes was he the Christ before he had to come yes but he was not he did not enter into that position of Christ He was actually, strictly speaking, the one to be manifested as the Christ. And here we see in Acts 2 that Peter comes and he explains that when Jesus was raised and ascended on high, God made that resurrected Jesus both Lord, and that word Lord was used in the Old Testament, the Lord said unto my Lord, talking about God saying to God, saying that this man Jesus resurrected at the right hand of God, is God. God saying to God, sit down at my right hand. So what he is saying is, you are equal to me, and I'm saying to you, you sit here, and I, from God's power, through you, and account of who and what you are, will in humanity bring every foe to subjection to you, meaning people will be set free from bondage by the work of God, not our works. Not our obedience to scriptures in the sense of obedience to the laws and all those kind of things. Let me read verse 36 again. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now getting back to our passage, what does it mean that what is the love of Christ? The love of Christ Described in Acts 2, in Acts 13, is the deliverance that God brings free from your power simply by by relying upon Him and His salvation work over humanity in ending death and sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when the Spirit was poured out, it was the manifestation of God's life in Jesus towards all people that the very same Jesus raised the, the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now in all who believe so they can also be free. Glory to God. Let's quickly jump to point three there of whom the whole family in heaven earth is named. That um, simply means that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of both Jew and Gentile. Inner man there uh, is the mind according to Romans 7. I'm not going to go into depth into that. Point five, Christ uh, we've, we've dealt with that in depth now. Christ is basically then the Messiah of humanity, the one that has conquered Rome, conquered the, uh, the grave, conquered everything. You know the cross of Rome was the power of death. man. 
It was seen as the power of Rome, which is to rule with death. And Jesus was hanged upon a cross. He stood up. He died. He rose from the dead, ruling over the power of the cross. And today, we don't find people being crucified everywhere anymore. We find crosses around people's necks as the sign of victory. And now we see the lordship of Jesus, where he took Powerful Rome destroyed them completely, utterly, uh, uh, until today we just find a little bit of residues of Rome here and there and whatever. Uh, people even today, as I read up, I mean the, the books I've read could, could be wrong, but they say we struggle to even find who the Romans really were today, uh, what people group they were. Uh, it's, it's all gone the empire, the mighty Rome has fallen and their signature was the cross whereby they would rule. That was the emblem of fear and that Jesus rules over as the Christ and as Christ he made that cross a sign of victory for all of us. Glory to God. Every time you see a cross somewhere, you know, man, Jesus is Lord. The cross is empty and the cross has been changed from a horrible thing to a very sign of victory. And that is a sign of the Lordship of Jesus. Glory to God. And you will see there in point six, um, it says, uh, with all the saints, it's just a reaffirmation of the concept in discussion wherein he says it's both for Jew and Gentile. And then I'm going to end off with a passage that says that passes knowledge and point eight greater than what we can ask or think. Let me explain that quickly. It's very simple in the context of what I've just taught. And I had to teach all of this for you to, to understand what he says, passes knowledge and to ask uh, uh, the God that can give more than we could ever ask or think. What was greater than the knowledge of the Jews? Greater than the knowledge of the Jews was the concept that Jesus would be the Savior that saves us from, from our sins. That we would not need a law to live by, to have life. That life is not by the law. That life is not by the righteousness of the law, but that life is by the righteousness of God. That concept wasn't well known. And the concept that wasn't known at all was that Jesus would be the Messiah of the Jews. That's what he says in verse um, 19 there I pray that you Gentiles may have experiential knowledge of the love of Christ I want you Gentiles to know Christ as your Christ that is what he is saying and this this knowing of Christ as your Christ is what passes all knowledge the knowledge that there was in the Old Testament of Jesus as the Christ no Jew ever conceived that and i want you to have christ as your christ and this christ is greater than what these judaizers are going to teach you and this will fill you with the fullness of god referring to the resurrection and becoming immortal in the day of christ now it says you're now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or think. The context is what if just discussed. He's just said what we could never think of, what we could never ask for. The Jews never thought of asking that the Messiah would be the Messiah of the Gentiles. They never thought of that. They never asked it. And here we see that he has done it. To this God be all power and all glory, and I love the end of verse 21 there, in all ages, world without, without end. Glory to God. Amen. I want to say this. The love of Christ is much more 
than just the feeling in your heart that God loves you. Listen, it is true. In our hearts, I, I think the deepest thing we can have, uh, uh, I want to correct myself, the deepest thing we can have is the knowledge that God loves us. And what is equal to that is to have that love defined on what it means and what it is. And that love is defined in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, saving man from his own works and death, bringing heaven to earth, manifesting the fullness of God in man as man simply believes and rely upon him. Amen, amen. I want to thank you so much.